Let's ask God to help us with his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we pray in your mercy that we would receive this word as the word of the living God to us, written for us. And we pray that we would understand it and know how to apply it, to live it out in our lives. And help me to teach your word truthfully and clearly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Verse 9, but you shall kill him. Verse 15, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword, devoting it to destruction. Shocking, isn't it? Kill, kill, kill. The very thing that gets religion a bad name, that gets the Old Testament a bad name. I mean, all these victims of religious violence have done is disagree about God. And isn't that just a private, personal matter? I mean, you aren't hurting anyone by having different belief about God. And shouldn't we be free to believe about God what we like? I mean, when you come across bits of the Old Testament like Deuteronomy 13, aren't you glad we have the New Testament and that with Jesus, God seems to have got a whole lot less intense about people taking the truth about him seriously? Now, brothers and sisters, if that is your initial reaction to Deuteronomy 13, you are clearly a child of Western culture where individual freedom to be self-determining, to choose what one wants to be and believe, is one of the highest values to be respected by all, including God. A culture that thinks religion is a free choice because it's actually about us, our happiness through developing our spirituality, not about responding to anything or anyone real, not about objective truth. And because it's not about objective truth, well, tolerance is the highest virtue in relating to others who believe differently from you and the commands of Deuteronomy 13 are just barbaric. Oh, and if you reacted that way to Deuteronomy 13, it also means that you have not fully reckoned with the importance to God to your believing brother or sister and to the world of the exclusive loyalty of the Lord's people to himself in both the Old and the New Testaments. So before we condemn what we read in Deuteronomy 13, let's try to understand it in its own context and then let's think about what hasn't and has changed for those who are the Lord's people now by trusting Jesus. For the message of Deuteronomy 13, that each member of the people of God, each believer in Jesus, should accept responsibility for preserving the integrity of the relationship between the Lord and the, his people, is still an important, life-giving message today. Now let's start by remembering the context in which Deuteronomy 13 has been given. Israel is the people the Lord has rescued out of slavery in Egypt. Israel is a people brought into covenant relationship, which is a, a committed kind of relationship like marriage. Covenant relationship with the Lord, a relationship where the Lord is their king. And they have committed themselves to the Lord's commands. And at the heart of that relationship is an expectation of and a commitment to the exclusive loyalty of Israel to the Lord. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now Israel's about to enter the land of promise, the land the Lord is giving them. It is the Lord's land. He will bring them into it and they will live there in his presence as his people. And their peace and prosperity in the land will be the fruit of their living loyal to the covenant. It's in this context where Israel's life and peace, their continuing occupation of the land, depend on being the Lord's people exclusively loyal to him. That the Lord gives them three examples of what will most certainly come. People seeking to seduce them away from their exclusive loyalty to him, seeking to entice them to worship other gods, whether that's alongside the Lord or in place of the Lord. He gives them these examples so that they will know how to respond when, when it happens. And in every instance, it's the same temptation. Let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. Same verse 6, same verse 13. <coughs> let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Now known there doesn't mean know about. The people plainly knew about Baal and the other gods, for they've just been instructed in chapter 12 to tear down their altars. Known has the sense of being in relationship with. Israel has never been the people of these other gods, never seen their mighty works, never been rescued by them, never committed themselves to be in a relationship with them. That same temptation, let us go and serve other gods, can come from a variety of sources. And so... The Lord gives these examples, examples that show that each Israelite is to accept personal responsibility for preserving the integrity of the relationship between the Lord and his people. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. So firstly, there is the religious authority. A prophet was someone who was recognised in that society as a spokesperson for the divine, for the gods, someone speaking the word of God. What he or she said came with authority. <coughs> and a dreamer of dreams was also a recognised authority. Moses is not speaking about somebody just daydreaming. God was believed to communicate through dreams. And a dreamer of dreams was regarded as a professional who had access to the mind of God through dreams, who again spoke with authority. So it was assumed that prophets and dreamers should be listened to when they spoke about God. And in this example, their credibility is supported by their prediction, verse 2, actually coming to pass. And then from that place of real authority, they say, let us go after other gods and let us serve them. Now, how was Israel to react? To say, oh, surely I need to change my mind about God now. Only God can do things in the real world, so this teaching must be from God. I have to get with this new teaching. Well, no. You see, the test of whether something is from the living and true God who has shown himself to be the only God is whether it conforms to previous revelation, the saving revelation that brought them into relationship with the Lord as his saved people. 
The question they have to ask is, <coughs> is what they are saying. Promote faithfulness to the Lord. Promote obedience to his commands or not. You see, the prediction coming true doesn't change that. Sometimes the ungodly will do wonders that are real. Predict things that come true. Pharaoh's magicians, remember, matched Moses' first two signs. And our Lord warns, Matthew 24, that false prophets will perform great signs and wonders. The deceiving spirits behind the lies of these religious authorities do have a power and they'll do things in the world to deceive and destroy. But it doesn't change the truth of the Lord's saving revelation or the, or the need for the Lord's people to keep on living by trusting and obeying the Lord. And the Lord says he will use this for a good purpose amongst his people. Verse 4, <coughs> sorry, verse 3. The Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You see, the Lord's testing, giving his people opportunity to demonstrate to themselves and the world that they love the Lord their God. See, testing informs, it trains and it strengthens. Rejoicing the entice, re rejecting the enticement of these false prophets, rejecting spiritual adultery because they hold fast to the Lord's clearly revealed will and command, their relationship with the Lord will be strengthened. Their persevering in walking in his ways reinforced. And being faithful, they are to decisively reject, not tolerate these treacherous authorities who seek to take them away from the Lord to incite, verse 5, rebellion against the Lord. But an enticement to spiritual adultery won't just arise from religious professionals. It can come from those closest to you. Moses, in verse 6, is speaking of those dearest to you, whose affection you most long for, your son or daughter, your wife, your long-term and dear friend. And they come secretly, so no one else need know. Secretly, as they try to introduce you to any other so-called gods, whether that is the local idols or more exotic religions, the strange gods from far away, you know, like the spiritual practices of the Amazonian tribes or something like that. Right now you can imagine the power of that temptation. These are people whom you want to please. They're people above all else with whom you want to be one. Your happiness depends on them and it can all be kept in the family. But Moses is clear about your response to their suggestion. Verse 8, You shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him. You shall kill him. They might be urging, pressuring you, pleading your love for them. You shall not yield. They might be trying to persuade. You shall not listen. For what they're trying to persuade you of would draw you away from the Lord. And you won't substitute the Lord's judgment on them for your own. You won't substitute, sorry, your own judgment for the Lord's judgment on them. But will be faithful to the judgment, says the Lord, of the judge of Israel. You won't pity, spare or hide that seducer. 
And as the chief witness, you will take the lead in enacting the Lord's judgment. Now that is so gut-wrenching, isn't it? But the Lord really is serious about expecting to be loved with all we are and have and loved above all. Compared to love of him, our attitude to others will seem at times like hate. And he expects his people to be serious, to accept personal responsibility for maintaining their relationship with him, his people's relationship with him. Not to delegate faithfulness to someone else, but to have faithfulness start with oneself. Well, having considered a very private scenario, the Lord gives a very public example of enticement to worship another god, the turning of a whole community to worship another god under the influence of a persuasive clique. If you hear in one of your cities which the Lord your God is giving you to dwell there, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. Here the Lord says that those who hear must carefully investigate the charge. Unlike the cases with the prophet or that close family member where you had personal experience of their seductive suggestions, you hear about this at a distance, second hand. And there's potential for this charge to be abused. A rival community bringing a charge of apostasy against their neighbouring community out of malice or to get some material advantage. So you must investigate, make search and ask diligently. You can't shrug it off as if it didn't matter and you can't lazily accept someone else's word for it. But verse 15, if it is proven, Israel must act. Having become in worshipping other gods like the idolatrous nations Israel's driving out, well, they're to be treated like those nations. They're all to be put to the sword, the whole community with all its property devoted to destruction. You see, no one is to profit from this. They can't, verses 16 and 17, take possession of anything belonging to that community, not even their location. It will be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. And its ruins will be a permanent reminder that you cannot belong to Israel, have a place in the land, and not worship the Lord God of Israel. Three examples of the one temptation to abandon the God of Israel for other gods, to deny the first commandment of the covenant, you shall have no other gods beside me. And all with the one outcome, the death of those saying, let us go and serve other gods. Now that sounds hard, doesn't it? But it makes sense. You see, Israel is a nation, a nation state. And every nation, at least until recently, has exacted death for treason and rebellion, crimes which strike at the very heart of the nation's existence. And that's what seeking to draw Israelites away to worship other gods is. It is treason. It is rebellion. For the Lord is king in Israel. They had committed themselves to be governed by him who had rescued them. It's a direct repudiation of what you could think of as the constitution of Israel as a nation, the Ten Commandments, that started, as I've said, by saying, you shall have no other gods before me. 
commitment, you see, to the Lord was not a private, personal matter. It was Israel's national foundation. They would cease to be the Lord's people and the Lord would cease to be their king where they gave in to that seduction and worshipped other gods. And ceasing to be the Lord's people, they would have no place, no belonging in the Lord's land. Repudiating his grace, they would experience his wrath. And when we understand that, that the Lord is king in Israel and that Israel's identity and right to possess the land is only found in being the Lord's people, well, when you understand that, you see this action that seems so shocking to us is not just necessary to preserve Israel as a nation enjoying the Lord's blessing in the land, it is actually love the love expected of every Israelite. You see, it's love of the Lord, acting in covenant faithfulness, confessing him alone as their God, an expression of their gratitude for his salvation and faithfulness. And it's also love of their fellow Israelite, stopping this turning away from the Lord from spreading like cancer through the body of the nation Israel, stopping the disastrous apostasy that would lead to the nation experiencing the Lord's wrath for their unfaithfulness, stopping them losing their land, their inheritance, stopping them becoming like all the other nations around about them with no distinct identity. Stop all those consequences where they acted in love, consequences which eventually happened in Israel's history because this instruction was not obeyed. But more keeping this instruction is also love of the surrounding nations. Israel, the surrounding nations were meant to see the difference, be moved to acknowledge the goodness of being the Lord's people as they saw Israel's life in obedience to the Lord's commands. Israel was meant to be a light to the nations, drawing other peoples to the Lord, the only God. And that would cease where they went and worshipped other gods. Keeping this instruction was the life for Israel and it was acting in love. For the Lord was their God, their saving God, the only God, and their life was found only in relating to him as his faithful people. But what about us, people who are the Lord's people by believing the gospel of his son preached by Jesus' apostles, the gospel that tells us that Jesus who died for our sins is the risen Lord with authority to judge and forgive all, the risen Lord who is our King, the King of his people. Well, be in no doubt, the God who has saved us still calls for our exclusive loyalty. You heard the words of Jesus, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Or as Luke puts it, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Echoing the words of Deuteronomy 6, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. Jesus, God with us, says he is to be loved above all. That compared to loving him, being exclusively loyal to him, so that we put doing his will, trusting and obeying his word above all, 
our attitude to others will seem like hatred at times. And we should be exclusively loyal to Jesus because just as there is only one God, Jesus, God's Son, is the only Saviour, the only one who can give us life, the only way to the Father. He's the only one who can give us peace with God, bring us to share in the inheritance of God's people, promise God's people in the new heaven and the new earth. There is no other saviour than Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, the saviour who has given his all, his life, freely and graciously out of love to rescue us. There is no other who deserves your wholehearted trust and service, but he does deserve it. And our saving God still calls for our exclusive loyalty, still tells us that we must shun all idolatry, all worship of false gods, but more, he warns us that we must not listen to those who want us to trust and serve another Jesus, who bring to us another gospel than the one our Lord Jesus appointed his apostles to preach. We must not serve that we must not believe and welcome those who want us to serve another king by bringing us another Jesus. We're to recognise that preaching another gospel is as serious as saying, let us worship other gods and show the same zeal in responding to it. This is Paul, Galatians. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And again he says, 1 Corinthians, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Now, when Paul says accursed, he's using the Greek word used to describe what was to happen to that rebellious city in Deuteronomy 13 in the Greek Old Testament. They were accursed. You see, Paul's saying these false preachers, those who do not love the Lord Jesus as he is to be loved, are reckoned to be likewise devoted to destruction by God. See, God is still serious about his people being exclusively loyal to him by taking his revelation seriously. And just as it was for Israel, this is not a matter of indifference or personal preference for believers. It's a matter of life and death. For only the gospel the apostles preach is the power of God to save from the consequences of our sin. And it's a matter of trust and love. For only believing that gospel will bring us into right relationship with the God who sent Jesus into the world to make a people of his very own, a people committed to God through being committed to following Jesus. In Deuteronomy 13, God warns us, you and I, that there will be those who seek to entice us away from a pure devotion to our God, Father, Son and Spirit, a pure love of him, with all our heart, mind, soul. And now that enticement seeks to bring us to believe and follow another Jesus, the Jesus of people's imagination, not the Jesus of the gospel. 
And just as in Deuteronomy 13, that incitement will have many sources. History, including recent history, is littered with religious authorities, whether they're people with status and titles in denominations or credential professors in colleges or people claiming prophetic gifts, littered with religious authorities who preach a Jesus God's people have never known. A Jesus, say, who didn't rise from the dead. Or a Jesus who is no longer concerned for sexual purity. Or a Jesus whose death was just an example and not an atoning sacrifice for sin. Or a Jesus who wants you to have a private jet and not a cross. Right? And there will be people, and this is harder, in our families who want us to follow another Jesus. You see, the pressure here is often the pressure to accept a different standard of morality from the one following Jesus commits you to, to accept a Jesus who's come now to endorse all our private choices. And I'm not talking about the world, those outside the church, but those who have come to church with you who say they're believers, the close friend with whom you've been in church for years, who moves into a de facto relationship and says, you must accept that. Or the member of your family who, having been involved in church with you, now decides they just want to move on in their relationship, leave their husband and wife where there's been no sexual immorality, and say, you must accept it because, well, they prayed about it and it feels good and God's okay with it. Or harder still, your son or daughter <coughs> who comes home and tells you not just that they're struggling with, same sex, with their sexual identity, but that you must accept their same-sex practice, their same-sex partner, and think that that is also okay with God. You see, what they're saying is you must change your mind about what is right and wrong. No longer take your understanding of that from the scripture, God's word. But that, of course, is to embrace a radical reorienting of authority in your life where their experience, their needs now comes first and you must change what you believe, the way you read the Bible, to join them. Now that is come and worship other gods. Now when that happens, who will rule in your house? Jesus' word or their experience? And if you're married... Will you have so nurtured your, your relationship with each other that you will be united in your response? Will you grieve for them, love and help them where you can, but still say it is sin, knowing they may not want to be helped unless it's on their terms and anything less than full acceptance will break the relationship. And as you are thinking about that, remember... Only the living God can save them. Only the Jesus of the apostolic gospel who says he is Lord. Only the living God, Father, Son and Spirit can give them repentance and new birth. And if you abandon him by abandoning his word, who can save them or you? Oh, and we also know whole churches, whole denominations who have gone after other gods where Jesus is no longer Lord and other authorities rule in their life. There are many saying, let us serve other gods. Let's have another Jesus 
than the Jesus of the Gospel. So how should we respond as we accept personal responsibility? Well, we don't kill. There is no place for the death penalty, obviously. You hope it would be obvious, but some people misread the Old Testament, right? It's not that our zeal to preserve the relationship between the Lord and his people should be any less, nor that the sin of these seducers is any less serious. But our context is different. The church is not a nation state. We're a society of people freely associating together, called together by the gospel of God. People can join and people can leave. And the ultimate action the church can enact and should enact where people depart from the gospel, where people want to serve other gods and lords, is exclusion. And that's it. And then they, like we, will stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ. But how can we prepare ourselves to discharge the responsibility the Lord gives to every one of his people to be active in preserving the relationship between the Lord and his people, to be active in ensuring that the Lord's people stay the Lord's people by loving and serving him only? Well, firstly, be the real deal yourself, someone who's heard Jesus and who loves Jesus wholeheartedly, who lives a life of trusting thankfulness each day, taking up your cross, denying yourself to follow him. So test your own heart. Knowing his forgiveness and love, are you convicted that the gospel, the apostolic gospel, alone saves and that Jesus calls for and deserves to be loved above all? And does that show in your daily decisions and actions? Be the real deal. And secondly, be clear yourself about the gospel and its implications. Remember, the false teachers in Galatia weren't saying, let's leave Jesus, <laughs> let's stop being Christians. No, no, they were saying, oh, Jesus is great, you just need a bit more than Jesus. So do you labour to have a mind informed by the truth? What do you read? What do you listen to? Do they help you understand God's word? Could you explain the gospel and its implications to others? Do you have a clear grasp of the gospel and especially of Jesus being Lord? Now, if you're not sure, come and talk to me or to one of the other pastors or to your growth group leaders. Or if you haven't, read Romans prayerfully. Thirdly, be discerning. As Paul tells, and this goes for what you've heard this morning, test all things especially people who claim to have new revelation or insights. Don't be lazy. Don't be sucked in by stories of signs and wonders. They may or may not be true. The question is, is what the tellers of those stories are saying consistent with the saving revelation of God in Christ? The gospel you have believed, believing which made you God's child, one of his people forgiven the gospel that's the source of your identity, the gospel that points you to Jesus alone and his work on the cross for salvation, the gospel that brings you to worship the true and living God, the only God, Father, Son and Spirit, by doing his will, the will revealed to all his people in his word. Be discerning and be wise in whom you choose as leaders. They've got to be able to give instruction, says Paul, in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those 
who contradicted. Elders, leaders have to be faithful. They have to be equipped. You have to know that they've grasped and understood the gospel and they are committed, in the words of our ordination vows, to asserting, maintaining and defending that gospel. But above all, if you are going to accept responsibility to maintain the relationship between the Lord and his people by being faithful to his truth, you must be willing to lose. Jesus called for us to give up all to follow him. So if you're going to be a believer, you have to be willing to stand apart. You have to be willing to lose friends or even family to be faithful to Jesus. You have to be willing to lose reputation, whether it's being thought harsh and intolerant or being thought to lack intellectual credibility because you haven't adopted the latest thing or being thought unspiritual because you won't get caught up in the latest spiritual fad. You have to be willing to part ways with those preaching another gospel those saying, let us worship another God. Even if that is someone to, with whom you've been in fellowship for many years, yeah, good. even if it's someone many are praising, even if it's someone who may have been your teacher in the past. As John writes, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching is both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. There needs to be clear separation from those who preach another gospel, even if that's with another congregation or a denomination. Now, if you're sitting there and you're not yet believing in Jesus, you might be shocked by what you've heard this morning, disturbed by its seeming intolerance, disturbed by the seriousness believers are called to show in being faithful to Jesus and the God revealed in Jesus. In fact, I hope you are shocked by the seriousness with which God takes the truth about himself, shocked enough to ask, is it true? Is it true that Jesus really died and rose again? Is it true that Jesus, the Jesus preached by the apostles, the Jesus of the historic gospel, can give you forgiveness and eternal life? Because if it is true, those who are shockingly serious are actually preserving the possibility of life for you. The possibility of life by preserving the truth of the gospel for you. So if you're not yet a believer and you're disturbed by what you've heard this morning, well, ask, is the gospel of Jesus true? And if you're a believer yet shocked, shocked that the Lord could call for the death penalty for those in Israel who rebelled against him, shocked that Jesus expects those who believe in him to accept responsibility for preserving amongst his people wholehearted devotion to him by preserving the truth of the gospel, the truth that he is Lord, King amongst his people. If you are shocked that he expects you to stand apart from those who bring another Jesus, well, recognise this call for what it is. It's love. It's love of Jesus who deserves our wholehearted devotion, who's honoured only where the truth of the gospel is known and believed. 
Why would you want your Lord Jesus confused with some pallid imitation who can never save? It's love of Jesus and it's love of your brothers and sisters who are only Jesus' people where they trust and follow him as Lord, only a people who have a share in the inheritance of the new heaven and earth where they are faithful to their king, Jesus. Why would you want your brothers and sisters to lose life by embracing error? And yes, it's love of the world, of your as yet unsafe family and friends, even if they disapprove of your seriousness. For in preserving the gospel, you are preserving the offer of life and you're maintaining a community that can be a light in a dark world because they listen to Jesus and do what he says. So brothers and sisters, love and accept your responsibility to preserve wholehearted faithfulness to and love of the Lord Jesus amongst his people by being wholehearted in following Jesus yourself, clear about the gospel, discerning, wise, and above all, being prepared to pay the cost of faithfulness to your Lord who loved you and gave himself for you, the cost of separating yourself from those who preach and teach another Jesus who really are saying, let us go and serve other gods who are offering you death for the life the true and living God offers you forever in his Son. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, all your word is given for our instruction and encouragement. We pray that we would heed this word and we would delight to be wholehearted in our devotion to Jesus, knowing his love for us, knowing his truth and knowing that his gospel saves us and will save all who come to know and trust him through believing the gospel. Please work in us so that we are wholehearted in love and faithfulness to Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.